What is happening, everybody? Welcome to another round of the Wind Up Podcast. I am your host, Mike of MTGA Wines. Today, we're getting into probably one of my favorite things about winemaking. I've been kind of holding off on doing this episode for a couple of months because I wanted to do it when things were like fresh of mind, in my head, from a winemaking perspective, as we're getting ready for a bottling run. This is partially why we tackled the world of logistics last week and kind of the preparation that goes into everything that we do from harvest to aging, blending, and bottling. And that's where we want to pick up things today. Because even though that those logistical things you know, are a huge part of what we do. There's always the paperwork in the background, you know, the phone calls and emails and trucking and movement and everything that's going on. But in the foreground and what's at the front of our mind right now, or the front of my mind right now, and many winemakers' minds, is blending. Blending wine has got to be one of the most challenging but also rewarding moments in winemaking. You have all these components that you've been crafting over months and years and you're finally ready to take them and bring them together so that you can put them into a bottle and release them out into the world to be enjoyed. Blending is, it's kind of the best. You're finally kind of putting your final stamp of approval onto what you want a wine to be and you're running with it. The only thing that surpasses bottle or blending is gonna be harvest because harvest is just an outrageous time. And I mean that in the literal sense of the word. It is an outrageous time. But this time of year, as we're getting through the latter part of the spring into the summer months, something that we need to do is we need to clear out some space in the cellar. And this kind of goes back to that logistical conversation we were having last week, is that at a certain point, there is an ebb and flow and kind of a schedule that you maintain. There's always a little bit of wiggle room with it, but theoretically, when the next round of wine is coming in, you have some wine going out as well. And that's what we're preparing for. Blending is a point in the aging process where our wines are in essence finished. And in my perspective on it is that blending is really the polish. This is you know just subtle little tweaks. There's not gonna be any huge sweeping, you know, wide, you know, big time changes that happen in the next two months. The reason for that is you, if you have just X amount of components in your cellar, you know, that's what you're working with. You know, this does, you know, this part of this conversation does omit kind of the manufacturing side of wine where you're using certain things to doctor up your wine in some way, shape or form to make it taste or feel a certain way. So we're going to ignore that for now. We're going to we're going to tackle this really from the craft mentality of winemaking, of saying you have X amount of barrels of a certain wine, you're trying to create these couple of wines from these barrels, here's how you go about it. Just using the components in front of you. We're not talking about additives, we're not talking about extracts, we're not talking about fining, we're not talking about filtering, we're just talking about trying to make the best wine we can with what we got sitting in the cellar. As little manipulation as possible. Because that's, for me, that's how you get the really great wines out there. The more manipulation in my mind, you know, if you're trying to stock shelves and have your wines available in restaurants all over the country, sure, you're going to have to make some probably larger tweaks to get things to a certain point. 
But as a small producer, you have the ability to turn on a dime and say, hey, we can use a percent of this, 2% of that, a dash of this. Maybe only a part of this barrel is going to end up in this final blend. And you can make some of these judgment calls as you're tasting through what your final wines are going to be. So with all of that in mind, I'm going to take you through the blending process and specifically how I go about it. There are plenty of different ways to do this. It's all pretty much the same. Uh, some folks will do it a little bit differently depending on what wines they're bottling, you know, how much of certain wines they need, and so on and so forth. There's always, you know, as with all things wine, it's always a little bit subjective. There's always a little bit of wiggle room, and you just kind of got to do what works best for you as the winemaker or as the owner of that wine. So I want to take you through it from my perspective on how I sit down and go through a blending session. So with that, the first thing I do is I show up to the winery and now I'm kidding. I'm kidding. The, the main thing, the main thing I do is I got to taste through everything. So in this upcoming bottling run that we have in mid August, we're going to be bottling four different wines. We're bottling our 2021 Napa Valley Merlot our 2021 single barrel Merlot. We're also bottling our 2021 Repichage, our red blend, as well as our 2021 Napa Valley Cabernet. Those are the four main wines that are going into this run for MTGA. And the order of operations starts with the Merlot because we're known for Merlot. Merlot is what makes the world go round in our world. It's what we're best known for. It's our flagship. It's you know, insert, you know, adjective here to describe something that is kind of the best of the best that you make. Merlot is our, you know, best of the best wine. I love our cab and our red blend, but the Merlot is the cream of the crop for us. So I always start with Merlot. And this is, I think, what most folks will do is that you typically start with the most important wines first, whatever they may be in your portfolio. I know that Cabernet is important to us. I know the red blend is important to us, but I need to nail our Napa Valley Merlot. That's gotta be the flagship. That's gotta be the tip of the spear. Like I said, insert adjective here, <laughs> you know? So the first thing I do is I go through and I taste through the Merlot barrels that I have available. Now in a year like 2021, it was a fairly low yielding year for our Merlot. We only ended up with basically seven barrels of Merlot, all said and done. Four of those, sorry, five of those are actually going to be part of the Napa Valley Merlot, just about. There may be some that ends up, you know, a little bit more on our red blend. And then we have one that is for our single barrel Merlot specifically that we'll talk about that, you know, after, you know, it's kind of the special wine that we bottle up that we cut from the herd. And then we have, you know, the seventh barrel that is realistically kind of more for blending purposes it's really geared towards what do i need and what can, might i need for the red blend and for the cabernet sauvignon but we'll get to that so those first few barrels i'm trying i'm trying to make the best napa valley merlot that i can and something that i do is i taste the prior vintage to kind of see where in this case 2020 left off and where that wine is at maybe taste a couple of the older vintages as well, just to get my mind right and kind of figure out where exactly our program has gone and how I want to try and keep it consistent moving forward. 
and then I taste all the barrels on their own. I don't do any blending just yet, but what I wanna do is I wanna get a nice feel for where each and every barrel is. Because the fun thing about barrels is that even though you have, in this case, a few barrels of Merlot, all from the same vineyard, all harvested on the same day, processed the same way, aged in different barrels, but you're even though there's so many similarities between them, they're gonna be very, very different wines. And this is a key part of blending in my world is that, and I think in any winemaker's world, is you need components. You need to say, hey, here's this section of the vineyard or these different barrels or these things that we can use to help build complexity and interesting things within our wine program. If you're just working with all the same stuff and it's very monotone, it might be an okay wine or a good wine, but it'll never be a great wine. There's just no X factor. So for me, all, and I think for, again, many winemakers, your barrel program is your spice rack and you wanna pinch of this, a dash of that, a little bit of this. It's like using just that little bit of something to really enhance and make a wine better than the sum of its parts. We try to get one plus one to equal three. That even though you're using just a couple of things, for some reason, it's just exponentially or that much better when you combine all those things together. You use that term in cooking a lot where, and wine pairing a lot, where you have like food and you have wine, but for whatever reason, it's not like these two things are really great. This is just greater than the sum of its parts. That's what we're looking for when we're blending a wine. And when I taste through those first few barrels, kind of without blending any of them together, I get a halfway decent idea of what this wine is gonna be like. We might have a barrel that's the heavier pressed lot. We squeeze those grapes really, really hard to get the wine out of it. And it's gonna be more structured. It's gonna be a little bit more bitter. Could be actually a little bit more alcoholic. Uh, we have some of the maybe lighter pressed stuff or maybe some of the free run juice. The lighter pressed stuff is just, we squeeze those grapes a little bit, got a little bit more wine. They're a little bit more structured, a little bit more full bodied. And then we have the free run juice which many consider to be the best. I don't, personally. I think free-run juice tends to be a little bit too one-dimensional, but it can be a great component to those other couple of lots that we have between the press lots that we get from a particular year. So once I've tried through all those wines, the first thing I do is I keep it simple. I try and keep it simple, stupid, because the one thing that you can do when you're blending a wine is just go down the rabbit hole way too far. You always want to taste through your wine and make sure you're doing a good job. You don't want to just say, you know what, we got these four or five barrels in Merlot, just throw them all together, it'll be fine. You don't want to do that. You want to try all of them together to see if it actually works. And if it doesn't, what does the wine need? So that first step, I blend all those barrels in Merlot together in equal parts. We just pull, I basically measure out 50 milliliters from each one. I put it into a glass, I mix it up, I pour myself some, and we see what all those barrels taste like, just equal parts, all together. And that gives me a pretty good idea of, hey, can we use all four of these barrels? Or hey, maybe that one that's really, really structured, that heavy press lot, maybe that's making the wine too structured, too bitter. Maybe we wanna dial that one back. Because even though it's gonna be 100% Merlot, maybe there's a little bit of that Merlot that's just a little too edgy. And we want to make sure that it's a little bit smoother, a little bit more approachable, a little sexier, right? And as kind of luck would have it, 
those four, four or five barrels that we tasted through and blended tasted pretty good. They were solid. I liked where it was. Maybe didn't love it, but I liked where it was. So I said, okay, that's a good starting point. That's a good starting point. And because I was happy with where that Napa Valley Merlot was, just kind of at a quick glance, just like, hey, this is good. Let's run with this for now. Because I knew I had a little bit more blending to get done. We got some Cabernet we got to work with. We got a red blend we got to work with. We may be commandeering a little bit of Merlot for those wines. So I don't want to be too tied to what this Napa Valley Merlot is. It's our flagship. I want it to be the best it can be. But based on maybe what the other wines may or may not need, we make some additional little tweaks to it. We figure out what barrels exactly really, really work together based on the volume that we have remaining. And I can make an even better wine. Even though I liked that first initial just clean, simple blend of all these barrels kind of combined in equal parts, it might need a little bit of polish towards the end of things. So I always do kind of that first state of the union. Let's just keep it simple. And I love starting with Armor Low for this reason, because I can say, hey, we're just going to combine all these barrels together. We're going to make sure that that's good on its own. From there, we see what other wines need. And, we, and if we can spare that wine, you know, for those other releases, we'll do our best to do so. The next wine we dive into, realistically, is the most popular wine we make, and that's our single barrel Merlot. And as the name suggests, it's a single barrel. This one is arguably the easiest because you have that one barrel that you're creating that you just want to be the best of the best that you have from that year. The way I, it's, it's, you just taste that barrel, and this is literally what I do. I go through, I taste that barrel, and I say, you know what? That's really damn good. Let's run with it. Or in some situations, be like, you know what? This could use a little bit more time in barrel, and we delay bottling until we think it's going to be ready. That's really the main judgment call we make with our barrel select and kind of limited release wines. It's not so much what we need to blend into them every once in a while that's the case for certain wines in this situation it's more like just what time does it need does it need more time is more time going to make this wine that much better or are we already at the level of diminishing returns and realistically the way it was tasting now was solid it's exactly where i want it to be knowing that we're bottling it in august and we're not going to start selling that wine until february so it's still got you know, six months after it's bottled before it finally starts getting out into the world. So that wine, it's a little bit like gazing into your crystal ball. You're just like, okay, this is good now. Let me see what the future holds for it. So that one's a little tougher for that reason because it's a little bit more of a, you know what, this is. I know this is going to need more time. So we're just going to make sure it's on a good path right now. It was, we taste that, tasted beautiful, super excited for where it's at. So I set that one aside. Now we get into the red blend, which is arguably the most complicated of the bunch because now you're bringing together components from other lots. And in this situation, we had what was roughly 51% Merlot and 49% Cabernet split across three different barrels that we knew was really crafted to be our red blend this year. And with that, I'm do the same thing. Keep it simple, stupid. Let's blend these three barrels together. Let's see how they're doing. And if it's really good, we'll get to the Cabernet and see where that's at. And we'll see if we can just 
call it what it is and we're happy with where everything's at. That never happens with the red blend because even though those three barrels have been really dialed in and kind of crafted to be a part of this bigger blend in a very similar way that the Merlot is, you have your heavier press lot, you have some free run juice, you have a newer barrel, you have some old barrels, you have all these things kind of coming together to make that one wine, there can still be these little kind of gaps in it. And I'll tell you right now, as I blended those three barrels together in equal parts, same thing, grabbed equal you know, volume out of all of them, blend it all together, and the I tasted it, smelled it, the, the aroma was good. Again, not great, but good. I knew there was a little bit of work we could do with that. We taste it, and what was interesting is that the front of it, the, the right when it hits the tip of your tongue kind of the, and the front of your palate, it was beautiful. But right as it got to like the back of your jaw, like it's your about, you know, this is where it gets really nerdy when you're wine tasting. If you're watching the video, you'll see me on YouTube, you'll see me on like pointing at my cheek like back part of your jaw, right in that little crevice where everything kind of connects back there. The wine really died off. It didn't really have a great finish. It was like, hey, here I am, and I'm gone. That was basically the structure of that wine. Again, good, definitely not great. And as I'm sitting there and tasting through that wine, I'm like, okay, this needs some work. And in the back of my head, I already have, I know, it's like I tasted through my Merlot barrels. Out of those Merlot barrels I have, which one do I need to use to help enhance this overall wine? I didn't consider blending any more Cabernet into it, and here's why. I wanted, and I have forever, wanted our red blend to be a Merlot-based wine. Being that Merlot is what we do, more you know bordeaux right bank style of wines that tend to be merlot or cabernet franc heavy tend to be some of my favorite wines in the world personally i want to kind of put my stamp and my own style and thought process into that style and see what i can do with it therefore i don't really want to mess with blending more cabernet into it to make it a cabernet dominant wine i just don't stylistically that's not really where i want to head i've done that one time and I believe that was the 2019 vintage, and I was very happy with it, but it was definitely a departure from where I wanted that part of our program to go. So in the back of my head, I have that as well, where it's where exactly do I want this wine to fall, and characteristically, what do I need to do to get it there? And in this case, it's kind of that easy answer. Okay, we don't want it to be a Cabernet-based wine, therefore we need a little bit more Merlot to blend into this to hopefully help enhance that finish and round it out, make it a little smoother, elongate that wine a little bit better, give it more flavor and more complexity. So here's what we do. I already have kind of that pre-built blend of, you know, that 51% Merlot and 49% Cabernet that's blended in a larger volume at this stage. So I can use that as kind of the base wine from there, I pull a sample of that barrel of Merlot that I think will work really well with it. And I start with probably like a 2.5% addition of Merlot. Relatively finite. You know, don't want to overdo it. I don't want it to get too close to what our Napa Valley Merlot tastes like. I want it to be, you know, you know an independent wine within our program. So we do just a small addition. And we iterate on what that initial base wine was for this release. So we do a 2.5% blend, I do a 5% blend, 
and I do a seven and a half percent blend. So with all that, we have a wine that is roughly, you know, 54% Merlot. The rest is Cabernet. We have another one that's closer to 56, 57% Merlot. And then we have another one that's closer to 59% Merlot. And that's just these small increments. And I'm like, okay, if we add more Merlot, does it get a lot better? Let's just do a little bit. I don't want to. I don't want to jump this up to sixty-five percent or seventy percent Merlot, because that's just going to be such a different wine than where it is right now. And maybe, maybe it needs that. But we'll get there. If it needs that much more Merlot, we'll figure that out when we get there. I'm not going to dive that far into the deep end, especially knowing that I only have a little bit of Merlot that I can use for blending. I need to make sure that. Remember, I have that Napa Valley Merlot. That's the the king of the castle. I can't sacrifice that for this red blend necessarily. And I don't necessarily want to. I know I have a little bit to play with, but I need to make sure that I nail all of these. I can't just sacrifice one for the greater good. They're my babies. I got to make sure they all flourish kind of mentality. So we started that two and a half percent, give that a couple of good swirls, give a smell. The, the nose was actually a lot better, much more complex, much richer. But the flavor profile and the structure of that wine still had that gap in the back. It was still a really short finish, just didn't quite have that reach out and grab you kind of complexity that I want in my wines. So I say, all right, this being you know roughly 53.5% Merlot is not going to cut it. We need a little, let's try a little bit more. So let's try that you know, 56% Merlot, you know, 44% Cabernet version. Let's see where that's at. Same thing. Give that a swirl, give it a smell. Aromatics were even better. Huge fan. I mean, this was by far of these first two and including the initial blend, you know, that we we had. So these first three really iterations so far, the 56% Merlot was lights out. The, the aroma was beautiful. Rounded out nicely. It was a little less austere. And then that transferred over to the flavor and the structure of it as well. It melded, it rounded out that wine beautifully. It was just, oh, it was like, all right, that's solid. Gold star next to that one, earmark that, put a pin in it, whatever. We got to remember what we did there because that's a really great, really great starting point now to iterate further. But if an extra 5% Merlot really did well there, maybe it's only going to get better when you add a little more, right? And this is where the good old cliche of less is more comes into effect. Because when we went up to 7.5%, and this wine, you know, this wine was now a 58.5% Merlot wine with the balance being Cabernet Sauvignon, it just wasn't quite as good it actually got a little flabby and a little one-dimensional. It just, like, the, it smelled good. The aromatics were still still there. But on the palate, it was just like, that's yeah, it's good. It's fine. It did not, it did not quite retain the structure that it needed. It got a little bit just, yeah. It tasted too much just like red wine. Now, I know that sounds weird, but it was very nondescript is kind of my point. It just didn't have enough X factor. There wasn't enough there there. 
So more Merlot wasn't the answer. You had to find that middle ground. And that's what we found. We said, okay, if I take this bit of Merlot from this barrel that I've designated for blending, and we give this roughly that 5% add, it's a sweet spot. It's great. It's really great. Now we have that wine settled. We kind of know the direction. We have a great little starting spot to you know, work with. We put a pin in that one. We say, all right, let's get to the Cabernet. Let's try that bad boy out. So same thing occurs with the cab. Try all the barrels, kind of see where they're at. We have four barrels of Cabernet from the 2021 vintage that we're working on. So it was a quick, you know, taste through four barrels, see where they're at. And once again, keep it simple, stupid, blend all four together in equal parts. We try that wine, wasn't super happy with it. Very similar to where the red blend was. It just was lacking something back there. It was a little bit one-dimensional. And there were a couple things that were, I wouldn't say a problem, but a couple of things that needed to be polished. Number one, the oak profile was really, really subdued. It didn't have that nice, warm toastiness that I wanted in the Cabernet. Two, the finish was really, really short, and it was a little too harsh, a little too astringent. Luckily, I had planned for that. This is the joy of having this giant spice rack of different wines to pull from. So I go back to that Merlot barrel and I say, okay, we're going to need a little bit of Merlot for this wine. Let's do the same thing. Let's do a 2.5%, 5%, 7.5% Merlot addition to this and see where it lands. And if that's worth incorporating into this wine. Number two, I have a couple of barrels for our Grand Cask program and kind of our reserve Cabernet program, for lack of a better turn of phrase, that I've set aside that are in 100% new oak. One is a barrel trial. It's a barrel that I've never used before. The other one is one that I love for Cabernet, and that's gonna, that really is kind of the line it up to knock it down. Very similar to our single barrel Merlot. I'm like, if I need to capture the best barrel of Cabernet from a particular year, this is the one I need to use. And I said, okay, if the, if the new oak side of things really isn't shining through on this wine, we got a couple of brand new barrels. Let's see if I, it's worth sacrificing a little bit from those to incorporate into this Napa Valley Cabernet and give that just a little bit more X factor, a little, little bump in the barrel characteristics. So I got three things at play. I've got these fourth barrels of Cabernet that are in essence the base wine. I've got one barrel of Merlot that in a certain proportion we're gonna use, certain volume we're gonna blend into it. And then we got these couple of other new barrels of Cabernet that one's an R&D project, the other one is lined up to be our you know reserve bottling of Cabernet. Let's see if we can't get all of these things to play nice together and enhance this overall blend that we're working with. So here's what we do, same thing. The first thing I do is we have basically two layers to this. One, I want to try this with just the addition of Merlot to see if that'll help. And it did. We try those different versions with a little bit of Merlot, a little bit more Merlot, and a little bit more Merlot. And kind of the same thing happened that happened to the red blend. The little bit of Merlot was solid, actually really, really good. When we bumped up the Merlot a little more, a couple more percent, it was solid, still very, very good. Didn't really necessarily like it as much, but 
but still a great, great starting point. A little too much Merlot when we kicked it up to like seven at six, seven and a half percent. Same thing. It just kind of lost a little bit of what I wanted the Napa Valley Cabernet to be. So I go back and I say, all right, axe the larger amount of Merlot. We're not going to do that. Now I got these two wines there. Okay. Now let's do the same thing. We're going to take those four barrels of Cabernet as a base wine. We're going to add a little bit of Cabernet from this newer barrel and see how that plays with this wine. So same thing applies. Do a little bit, kind of a medium, and then a lot. A lot's relative, but, you know, a few gallons here or there. We taste through all of it, and just none of that worked. We taste, you know, just at just adding that little bit of Cabernet from a newer barrel to help blend into this larger lot really didn't do enough for it. I would have to sacrifice too much of it, and realistically, even in doing that, it wasn't moving the needle enough. So we had diminishing returns immediately. <clears throat> Excuse me. When we were trying to add more new oak to this wine in terms of the different barrels that we have available for blending. So I go, okay, that's not going to work. Scrap that. We can't just do that. The Merlot was singing, though. The Merlot was singing. But the wine still needs that little bit of new oak. It still needs that toastiness. It still needs a little bit more structure and a little bit more to it. So let's do this. We got these two other blends, you know, with a little bit and more of a medium addition of Merlot. And at this stage, you know, we're talking, it was about a 2.5% Merlot added into the cab and then a 5% Merlot added into the Cabernet. Both were good, but it's the both wines still needed a little bit of something. And since I like those the best, those were the starting point for the next one. So I pull a sample of, you know, a little bit more Cabernet that's from those newer barrels. And I say, okay, let's add a little bit of this to these blends and see how they do. See how that toastiness integrates. And the case might be, maybe we do need to go a little heavier handed on the Merlot to add this other little batch of Cabernet to it. Maybe we will have to kind of push more that direction. But right now, let's start here because these two were the favorite out of these first six that we tried. So you can see that it's basically you're, you're just working your way down a funnel. You're trying to just weed stuff out and then, if needed, add stuff back in where the wine needs it. So we do the, actually, we kind of mirror the additions. We say, okay, let's do the set. Let's just match the Merlot and this new barrel of Cabernet. We're going to basically do two and a half percent of each boom into it. We're going to do 5% of each boom into the main blend. Swirl those around, give them a smell, give them a taste. The 5% of each, the 5% addition of each was again, good good but the new oak really started to jump out and it was a little too much the merlot still balanced it out really really nicely but realistically the new oak was just a little too dominant even with a small addition like that you're talking you know a five percent addition to what is you know roughly a hundred or sorry 240 gallons so it's not a huge addition but it's enough that makes a very significant difference. We went and we tried that two and a half percent addition of each. Money. Beautiful. Excellent. Could not have integrated better. 
considering that I feel like how I blend wine is very much shooting from the hip. It's very, let's try this, and let's try that, and let's try this, and let's try that. Like, I kind of have the baseline, but, you know, maybe it needs a little something. It's basically how I blend. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, that's it. Let's, all right, let's put a pin in that, set this blend aside. We're going to come back to it. So I, at this stage, I kind of take a break. This, I'm, at this point of the blending process, I'm about two and a half hours into my day. I've tasted through now uh, six, nine, 13, 15 different barrels of wine. I've created multiple, multiple blends across the four wines that we're going to be making. My palate's a little tired. I need a glass of water. I go, I literally just go for a walk. I, I get out of the cave. I walk around. I come back and I have all four blends kind of lined up on a table. Actually, it wasn't even a table this time. It was literally the underside of a like garbage bin. I know that's, it's like the big brute, like plastic garbage bins. We use them for like our sanitizing solution. So I just flip them upside down and that's what I put my glassware on. It's super not fancy. It's not like this pretty picturesque photo where you see like four dozen glasses in front of 10 different people. It's literally just me with a trash can flipped over and glassware on top of it. It's not that sexy. <laughs> it's, it's like, all right, let's, uh, let's, let's see what we got going on here. It's, it's, I swear to God, it's like the redneck style of winemaking. It's kind of hilarious. Uh, I really wish I captured a photo of it because I probably would share it on the social medias. I haven't posted anything recently. I really should have, but it's not fancy is the point. But at this stage, I go through and I start all over and I taste through those final blends all over again. I do have to now, because I'm blending a little bit of Merlot into these other wines, I have to account for that in the first Napa Valley Merlot blend that we made. So I have to go back, recreate that in the correct proportions, knowing what I'm going to be using from that barrel. It's a little bit of a guesstimate, but you can get within a pretty good range. It's, you know, within a percent, half a percent or so. From there, I taste through everything. The Napa Valley Merlot is solid. Basically what you'd expect from that wine. The single barrel Merlot, kind of as we mentioned, very good. Just line it up to knock it down. It's going to need that extra time in bottle, but it'll get there. No problem. The red blend was still just solid. Like diesel engine solid. Like start her up and just go. Beautiful. Beautiful wine. And the Cabernet was just hot on its heels. Just like, you know what? This is going to be probably one of the better Cabernets we've released under MTGA. And with that, after what was now probably about three and a half hours, the blending session was over. It was time to crack a beer, clean up, and head home. The blending side of things, as you kind of taste through it in that moment, is interesting. And you do start to second guess yourself. This is actually why I do have these little nice little sample vials that I bring home. I line them up on the counter for Brittany. I let the HBIC taste through everything. And she double checks my work. Because I've been, you know, at that stage, I've tasted... Gosh, I mean, probably 50 or so different wines across all the barrels, all the blending, you know, samples and, and, you know, 
iterations that I've created. I want to make sure that I'm not going crazy and that because my palette's now kind of all over the place that I'm not missing something. So I go to her and say, here, try all these, make sure they're solid. And if you agree, we're good to go. Luckily enough, she agreed. I didn't have to do any more work the next day and bring home more blends, which is awesome. I love it when that happens. That is not always the case. <laughs> it is not always the case. Sometimes the HBIC does veto some of the blends that I put together, for sure, for sure. But these are the next steps. One, I'm, I'm basically two months, almost two months to the day from bottling. And what I'm gonna do is as we're getting ready for that bottling run is I go back and I double check my work. So two weeks before bottling, so we're talking the end of July, I'm gonna go back into the cellar and I'm gonna recreate these blends that I have my little black notebook from this day's blending session. I'm gonna go back, recreate them. I'm going to ensure that I provide samples for Brittany as well so she can try through all of them again. And we go back there and we double check our work. Not a lot is going to change in the next two months and, or month and a half in terms of the aging process, but better safe than sorry. You never know. And it's something that I always, always do is that roughly at about this two-month mark out, I go through and I blend everything and I kind of get it right where I want it to be. And then I double check my work. And then once I confirm what I have going on, we start bringing all that wine up to tank. We get it blended in the right proportions and we're ready for a bottling run. And then the logistics kick back in. <laughs> I'm sure some of you hated that episode last week. I apologize, but I wanted to cover it because it's a very important part of what we do in the wine industry. And it is things like that that allow us to take a day, you know, now that all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed, we can go into the cellar, and do what we really want to be doing, and that's making wine, not filling out forms of how many glass bottles I need and how many corks I want. Ugh. The joys of ordering dry goods. Am I right? So once the blending session's done like this, it's a nice little, like, okay, we're ready to go. I'm pretty hyped up on where the 2021 vintage is now. I know a lot of people are. The 2021s are tasting beautiful. Uh, very similar to the 2019s for us, actually. Uh, for those that are keeping track of vintages, 19 and 21 for MTG are very, very synonymous. Very, very synonymous. Uh, the next closest one will probably be like 2013. Uh, very, very similar to that year as well, uh, as a matter of fact, for us. But it's this, it's this nice little, you, you, it's, this is when we start to see the light at the end of the tunnel for winemaking. Is once the blends are kind of dialed in, you have your bottling run schedule, all the logistical stuff's taken care of, you're almost done with a the vintage. These last four wines that we're bottling in two months are the last wines we have in barrel from the 2021 vintage. There's going to be, we're just moving on to the new years after this. There's nothing left. Actually, that's not true. There's a couple little things left. But that's a different story for a different day. That's some of that R&D project that I was talking about with some of those newer barrels. But this is, it's, we're starting to wrap things up. And you're looking at what has been two years of work, almost two years worth of work into making these wines. We're finally sitting down, tasting through them, finalizing them, 
and getting them ready to share with you guys. And it's something that is just outstanding. It's exhausting. I had to go to a birthday party after that blending session. Imagine tasting 50 wines. And I'm spitting the whole time, by the way. I'm not drinking any of that. You taste, you, you actually drink 50 different wines, like almost, you know, even if they're just small barrel samples, you're going to be oh, toasted by the end of it. Don't do that. But even going to that birthday party afterwards, people are like, you need a glass of wine? I was like, I need, some, I either need some bubbles or a beer. Like I'm not, wine's not what I'm doing right now. I will get there. We will get there. <laughs> we will get there. Oh my gosh. But it was, it's a lot of fun. And I know every winemaker kind of has their own, you know, style of how they do blending sessions, what wines they need to focus on, where they really need to concentrate their efforts, and then they adjust and adapt from there. And it kind of trickles down to making sure that everything you have under your umbrella is where you want it to be. Blending is the best. Second best. Harvest is the best. Blending second best. Because you're just putting a bow on top of everything. You're just wrapping it up. Done. Deal. It's a beautiful time. All right. I have a brand new segment. To close things out, we're starting something new and different. I don't think I mentioned this at the very beginning, so this is going to be in the notes. I'm going to make sure to announce it properly uh, next week. But I'm doing a wine of the week. Because we know... We get, we get asked questions all the time. This is probably the number one thing that we get asked, and I haven't addressed it in our Q&A just yet at the end of every month, and I kind of have when picking out like a, a rest, uh, wine at a restaurant or at a retail shop, but the reality is, is that it, it can be tough to track stuff down. So I'm hoping that some of these little recommendations of wines that we found, I'm going to try and pick wines that are hopefully relatively easy to find. You might have to do a little bit of digging online. They might not be readily available in your local store. Uh, some we get through even distributors and stuff just when they happen to have them. Uh, so some of these will kind of ebb and flow in and out of different retail chains and markets and things of that nature just because they might be limited in production. But I'm hoping that with some of these recommendations, we can help start to introduce you to some cool different wines that are out there. And we're going to start with a region that until the last two years I was super unfamiliar with and realistically had not had any wine from this part of the world except for maybe here or there and I'm going to try if you're watching uh, you'll see the bottle hopefully this actually gets into focus sometimes webcam can be a little funky oh I always forget the light there's this light on here I had to like light up the background otherwise it's too dark let's see if that works you might be able to see it maybe not Hopefully that works. Either way, for those of you that are only listening and not uh, watching on YouTube, uh, this is, and I'm going to really mess this up because my Italian is terrible, uh, but this is the Tenuta Gaia Nera Etna Rosso, Etna Rosso, sorry, D-O-C. I see the A at the end of a word, and I think Spanish, and I'm like, oh, it's feminine, so there must be an A at the end of the next one. That's not how it works in Italian all the time, apparently. Uh, so it's the, sorry, we'll start over. Check. One, two, here we go. The Tenuta Gaia Nera Etna Rosso DOC 2020. Um, it's a variety that I know nothing about. I've literally done zero research on it, but it was delicious. Um, super, super good. It is a Sicilian red wine. I would equate it very much to like a lighter style Pinot Noir. Uh, probably the best way that I could describe it. Um, I have fallen in love with Sicilian wines over the last couple of years. 
Uh, they're very light, very easy drinking, very, very delicious, and very fun to try. They're like they're very good Swiss Army knives, especially as you're getting into the summer months and it's kind of hot. You want some good kind of bold flavors, but you want it to be a little bit lighter at the same time. It's a great, great area to check out. And this is an awesome wine. Uh, there's a little bit more information on it uh, in the comments, or sorry, in the description of the video, as well as a link to it. Uh, I've been able to track down at least that, so you can hopefully find it somewhere, anywhere near you. Um, it's highly, uh, it's just so good. I got this through a friend of ours um, who is friends with a Italian distributor, so we get together, try a bunch of Italian wines, and kind of do a little buying slash shopping spree once a year to stock up on some things that are just a little bit different. So definitely worth checking out. This will be, this is my wine of the week. After having it this week with some friends in our backyard, just grilling, we were hanging out by the fire pit, just needed an easy killer glass of red wine. Whew, knock my socks off. Really good stuff. All right. With that, we're out of here. Thanks for tuning in. Remember, share the podcast with your friends, family members, any winos in your life. Uh, the more that it's shared, the more followers and downloads and stuff we get, the easier it is to find. Uh, things of that nature, it, you know, the algorithm works a little bit better when there's stuff happening. So we appreciate all of the followers and especially those of you who have been listening to us since the very, very beginning. And of course, all the new folks who have tuned in over the last few months. It's been great. Uh, remember to submit your questions, uh, not next week, but the week after we will be doing our June Q&A. So if you have any questions that you want answered about the world of wine or hospitality, winemaking, anything at all, Make sure to throw them down into the comment section or slide into our DMs on any of our social networks. You can also head to mtgawines.com and submit them. There's a little form down towards the bottom of the website there that you can utilize to submit your questions as well. Thank you guys so much. We'll catch you next week.